a, a, a greater amount of intensity and competitiveness. And uh, both countries should be proud. I think India, India's attitude reflects the attitude of their country. Uh, they're, they're developing into a can-do, uh, always have been to some extent, but even more so now their youth uh, have a can-do attitude. Their country has been bringing a lot of optimism and their cricket team really reflected that. And um, It was exciting and, and great to watch. And uh, yes, uh, while we were vanquished, uh, we were part of a great series. And um, uh, we can only be very proud of uh, that and, and great for Test cricket, which uh, still to me is the best form of cricket uh, out there. And it must have been a big morale booster for people in the country that are going through very tough times at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think it, it was. But again, I think it reflects the attitude uh, of uh, underlying this country. Um, it's emerging very strongly. And uh, the way in which uh, some of these young fellows came into test cricket, which is an incredibly difficult environment mentally and physically, uh, and actually dominated, uh, tells you a little bit, uh, I think, underlying. I know you're drawing a, I'm drawing a long bow, but there is that emerging confidence in India uh, and that was reflected I think in the attitude of the younger players and I think it's a, it bodes well um, for a country that is, uh, has aspirations to be a major contributor to the world. Well good luck in the next series for you in, uh, in Australia and thanks very much Toby, have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson who's the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's all rather sleepy in Asian equities this morning. Not much movement at all. Down in Australia, the SX200 is flat. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan off about a third of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open flat in an hour's time. The Cosby in South Korea also not moving either at the moment. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil trading at $56.20 a barrel. Gold is at $1,868 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Stay tuned for back chats with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings in just a moment. The weather forecast, warm with sunny periods, uh, relative visibility relatively low in some areas. Maximum temperature is going to be about 24 degrees and then warm during the day with sunny periods tomorrow. Windier and becoming cool on Sunday. Temperature right now is 19 degrees, 85% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. The Secretary for Health, Sophia Chan, says authorities are still pursuing the possibility of using the Chinese Sinovac vaccine, despite government advisers on the pandemic not recommending it for use. In a report released last night, experts say vaccines from BioNTech and AstraZeneca should be given to the population in phases, starting with elderly care home residents and staff. Professor Chan told RTHK the government was awaiting more data on Sinovac. She said the BioNTech product should arrive late February and the government was seeing if this date could be brought forward. We have to rely on the vaccine manufacturers to let us know when they can deliver the vaccine in particular for BioNTech. The logistics is actually very challenging because of its minus 70 degrees storage of the vaccine. A University of Hong Kong medical professor Ivan Hung, who advises the government, says it's fine to delay inoculations here as the medical system isn't as badly hit as in other places. In his first full day in office, President Biden has asserted federal control of all aspects of the fight against the coronavirus, saying it would require a wartime undertaking to defeat the disease. Emphasis is being placed on speeding up the vaccination program, expanding testing and increasing the wearing of masks. Mr. Biden was speaking at the White House. This plan reflects uh, the ideas I set forward during the campaign and uh, further refined over the past three months. Our national strategy is comprehensive. 
It's based on science, not politics. It's based on truth, not denial. And it's detailed. The White House says President Biden is seeking a five-year extension to the New START arms control treaty with Russia. It was due to expire next month. A spokeswoman, Jen Psaki, said such an extension made sense because of the current adversarial nature of relations with Russia. Ms. Psaki also said Mr. Biden would work to hold Russia to account for its reckless actions and had asked the U.S. intelligence services for their full assessment of a recent cyber attack blamed on Moscow, alleged bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan and Russia's use of chemical weapons against opposition leader Alexei Navalny. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. A cluster of different topics today. We're going to be talking in the first part of the programme to the new chair of the Hong Kong Bar Association about uh, legal issues around town. And then after nine thoughts on fighting the COVID pandemic uh, in Hong Kong and the role of ethnic minorities uh, in that as controversy erupts over that issue. And finally, after 9.15, we're going to be talking about a new initiative bringing moving pavements to bring Hong uh, Kuantong to life. Let us know your thoughts on uh, any of these issues on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3, by email, backchat at rthk.hk, or on the phone. And our telephone number is 233-88266. Give us a call. We'll put you on air. 233-88266 is the number. OK, let's um, uh, just go through a few uh, emails maybe to kick off uh, on, on a variety of topics. Uh, Alan says... Uh, Backchat, your GOP guests were railing against Twitter and Facebook for removing Trump. Trump every day broke their terms of service. He spread lies about COVID and election fraud, and these did result in huge numbers of deaths for COVID and the invasion of the capital. He has plenty of freedom of speech. He has three TV networks that give him as much airtime as he wants. That is from uh, Alan. And uh, Bob, who describes himself as British, a Hong Kong resident from 1985, now happily and safely retired in Zhuhai. Uh, I have a comment regarding Xinjiang people. I've never visited Xinjiang and probably never will, but I've spent most of the last five years much closer to Hong Kong in Zhuhai. Over the road from where I'm writing, there is the mosque. A few minutes walk away uh, is my favourite noodle restaurant, which openly advertises their Xinjiang fare and is staffed by people in Muslim dress. Within 15 minutes' walk, there must be at least 10 restaurants similarly advertising their connections with Xinjiang. I see no discrimination against people openly wearing Muslim dress, and most of these restaurants seem to be doing well. Even the local Walmart is offering Xinjiang snacks for Chinese New Year. I suspect that much of the information about the situation in Xinjiang comes via Pompeo, that master of disinformation who openly boasted about how well the US ran courses on lying, cheating and stealing. Good health to all. That comes from Bob. And uh, Herman says... Uh, one can listen to so much. One can, sorry, one can learn so much listening to Backchat. For example, thanks to my dear friend Maoist Matthew, I learned about the Great Firewall of Tennessee that blocks content about China's alleged mistreatment of Uyghurs. I'm not going to 
give you the backstory to that. Uh, Matthew says in a different email, I wonder if correspondent Tom and the other patriots who said that they would take the Sinovac vaccine as first choice are holding strong now that the government is balking at approving it. I also note that Hong Kong's top patriot, Tam Yu Chung, took the Sinopharm vaccine and not the Sinovac vaccine, which the government has selected for Hong Kong people. That's from Matthew. Once again, our email, backchat at rthk.hk. Our guest for the first half of the show is uh, Paul Paul Harris. Paul Harris has just been, uh, been uh, elected uh, chair of the Hong Kong Bar Association. Uh, good morning, Mr Harris. Congratulations and welcome to Backchat. Good morning. Thank you very much. Now, very much in the news is uh, the um, uh, decision by uh, David Perry, uh, QC, to withdraw from uh, a a prominent uh, case that is going to come before the Hong Kong courts involving uh, freedom of assembly. Uh, An editorial in the South China Morning Post uh, complaining about unfair pressure on uh, top British barrister in terms of the pressure that was brought by the British Foreign Secretary, among others, for him to withdraw. Uh, Before we go any further, Mr Harris, uh, we we should clarify, do, do you have any connection to this case? Yes, I'm rather restricted in what I can say because I would have been Mr. Perry's opponent if he had been, if he had come, and uh, uh, obviously the case is ongoing and it's sub so I can't really make comments about the case. However, um, we can talk about the general issue of admission of British barristers here because uh, our, re- our listeners may not be aware the Hong Kong Bar Association uh, strenuously opposed Mr. Perry's um, admission in the first place and it has to be said the Hong Kong Bar Association very often opposes uh, the admission of um, uh, British uh, barristers to, hit, to um, participate in these kinds of cases in Hong Kong. In fact, I've heard many British barristers complaining about the Hong Kong Bar Association's opposition in the past. Well, that's incorrect. Uh, well, you did oppose that. It's not incorrect can, you oppose this case. Finish, please? Yeah. The statistics are, are publicly available. Anyone who wants can get them from the Bar Association. And they show that the large majority of um, British barristers applying for one-off admissions like Perry were unopposed by the Bar Association. And that's why I said that your statement was incorrect. You did oppose Perry's application. You've opposed several previous applications by Perry. I was looking back last night. I mean, it's a matter of public record in the in the judiciary judgments. I think we uh, um, the figures show that we oppose perhaps somewhere between ten and twenty percent um, going year on year. Um, the opposition to this one, uh, there there are quite a lot of rules laid down in court judgments as to when overseas counsel should be admitted. Uh, One test is whether uh, there are local counsel uh, already capable of arguing the cases to a high standard. A second one, a long-standing rule, uh, is that uh, the overseas counsel is meant to be leading a local senior counsel. Um, Now, I wasn't involved in the Perry decision. As you know, I only took over yesterday evening. But I understand that uh, part of the opposition was uh, the fact that in this case, uh, no uh, local senior counsel had been involved. Um, There was also um, some concern in that it was a rather more... um, It was a a district court case. It was not a high court case. Um, And uh, it wasn't... um, Those were the reasons the bar opposed it. It went to the Court of Appeal, which gave a judgment, and the Court of Appeal uh, said that they considered that uh, um, in the particular circumstances of the case that um, Mr Perry did have something valuable to contribute. Uh, I've read that judgment, and um, I wouldn't personally quarrel with anything in it. 
So if the court was, uh, if you having read it, the court was, uh, uh, you think's correct to say that Mr Perry should be admitted, then uh, presumably the Bar Association made a mistake opposing his admission in the first place. I, I know no, you weren't chair but, then, although you would have... Well, yeah. uh, that, no, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Um, the, the, there were arguments on both sides, and the court made a judgment. Um, c can you comment on... Um do you think that the uh, statements made by the, the Foreign Secretary in, in the UK and so on were, uh, were an infringement on judicial independence in, in, uh, in Hong Kong, were detrimental to the rule of law in Hong Kong? Uh, I can comment on that. Um, I think the, the idea that those comments were detrimental to the rule of law in Hong Kong or judicial independence are quite ridiculous. Um, uh, judicial independence is very strong in Hong Kong. We were, this was talking about whether one um, English barrister who's, who is not a, uh, a member of the Hong Kong bar um, should um, go to Hong Kong on a one-off basis to do a case. Um, and uh, I mean, whether... whether the Foreign Secretary's comments were right or wrong, um, they could not possibly affect judicial independence in Hong Kong. You can't surely be comfortable with the British Foreign Secretary calling a fellow member of the bar a mercenary. I mean, that's not um, sort of language. This well, year. I mean, you're distorting it. I think he said that taking that t case was fairly mercenary. Um, and um, I, I'm not I'm not sure um, whether the Foreign Secretary had things entirely clear, because as I recall, subject to correction, in that statement he referred to the national security law. But the case that David Perry was coming to do is not a case under the national security law. Um, it's a case under the public order ordinance. Well, this, that is a further criticism that has been raised of the Foreign Secretary's comments, that not only did he use that kind of inflammatory action uh, language, but um, he was factually incorrect because he referred to a national security law case when it wasn't. It's, it's not a national security law case. Uh, well, um, if he made a mistake, he made a mistake. Um, and I think that's as far as I can take that. Uh, yeah, I mean, is it appropriate anyway for, for a government to be putting pressure on a barrister in that way? Anywhere? Um, I think there, is, there can be an issue, and I'm going back now to years ago when I was the founding chairman of the English Bar's Human Rights Committee. Um, and the, the issue is there's no cab rank rule for overseas work. What I mean by that, some listeners may not know, um, within Hong Kong, there's something called the cab rank rule. Um, if you're a barrister you've got, and someone wants uh, you to represent them, you've got to take the case. Um, you're not allowed to say, I don't like this person, I'm not going to represent them. And uh, England has exactly the same rule. But what's often not understood uh, is that this rule does not apply to work outside the jurisdiction. No one is obliged to take a case outside the jurisdiction in which they practice. Now, of course, many, many barristers for a whole range of cases do go to other countries and appear in courts. Um, sometimes you get a controversial 
appearance. Um, I had to deal with one involving a prosecution in Africa. I'm not going to identify it, um, but when I was chairman of the Bar Human Rights Committee, it was a big issue uh, whether this barrister should really be going to that country and doing that prosecution. And um, where people draw the line in practice comes down to individual judgment and individual conscience. And uh, it's an extremely difficult thing on which to lay down a general rule. Is this, is this what's happened in this case likely to set a precedent that uh, leading members of the English bar will be um, more reluctant to, in future, to uh, accept instructions um, in relation to politically controversial cases in Hong Kong? That's assuming that well, they can even get permission to come here. Well, uh, um, you're assuming that uh, the reason David Perry isn't coming is because of pressure. Um, I'm not at all clear that that's the case. I don't know him personally. I was rather looking forward to meeting him. Um, but um, as, I, as I understand it, um, there was an issue about quarantine and whether um, an exemption should be granted uh, from quarantine. Now, that, if an exemption were granted, I'd be very much opposing that. Quarantine is a very serious matter, and uh, I would not personally want to be standing at the bar table in court next to someone who had been exempted from quarantine. Um, and it seems, I don't have inside knowledge, but it seems to me quite possible that this was a quarantine issue, bearing in mind that at the moment you need 21 days quarantine when you come into Hong Kong. And if you are based in the UK, you have to be have been out of the UK for 21 days before you enter Hong Kong. So that's 42 days of preparation. And the Court of Appeal only approved Mr. Perry's admission on the 12th of January. This case is due to start on the 16th of February. I think if you do the math, there isn't 42 days there. So my supposition is that this was to do with quarantine more than anything else. Uh, the Hong Kong government, who hired him when they announced he's not coming, they mentioned the uh, issue of political pressure first. It's true they did mention quarantine as well, but uh, the Secretary of Justice um, referring and actually using quite strong language to denounce the Foreign Secretary. They, as the people who, who were hiring him, gave the impression that it was primarily the political considerations. Well, I did read the Secretary for Justice's statement. I, there, was, there was quite a lot in it I didn't agree with. Um, I... Um, it was quite hard to know from that statement um, what, um, what Mr. Perry's reasons actually were. And I don't know what the reasons were. It's quite clear the quarantine was a major problem. Whether that was what decided it or whether it was uh, some consideration of the political issues, I simply don't know. And you ask me, do I think that this will uh, damage Hong Kong in the future, that other barristers will not come? Um, I don't think so. Um, it's not going to have any impact at all on barristers who come to do um, commercial, private law, other uncontroversial cases. If another barrister is briefed for a very controversial case, that will raise separate issues relating to that case. So I don't think 
um, it's done damage. D- does it reflect, though, um, disquiet um, amounting to distrust of the Hong Kong legal system in other jurisdictions? And I think that's something that you touched on when you were talking about possible amendments to the new security legislation. Well, of course, there's a lot of concern worldwide and in Hong Kong about the national security legislation. And one of those concerns, and uh, in my view it's an entirely legitimate and correct concern, um, is what some of the provisions of that law do um, for um, the rule of law. And, uh, but, but I think that the, that's a different case. This was not a national security case. Um, I don't think this case uh, has affected that very much one way or the other. I think there are major ongoing concerns about national security law. I'm very happy to talk about them if you, yeah, if you'd like. Yeah, I'd like you to. Yeah. What, what, what are those particular concerns? What are the areas well, that you would highlight? Um, the, um, I'm not against national security laws. Most countries have them, and there are good reasons for having them. Um, but um, this law includes four or five provisions that really do not seem to me to be at all reconcilable either with the idea of the rule of law or with the rights that we are guaranteed by the basic law. Uh, The most serious are the provisions that exempt from any legal challenge the actions of the Office for National Security and of the Committee for National Security. That's not the rule of law. When you have some officials who uh, are above the law. Their actions cannot be challenged in court, whatever those actions are. That's not the rule of law. And uh, that really, in my view, absolutely has to be changed if confidence in Hong Kong's legal system is to be maintained. Uh, That's the most fundamental. There's also Article 55, which says that serious national security cases can be taken to the mainland for trial, either at the request of the Hong Kong government or at the request of the Office for National Security. Um, This is a uh, really gross breach of uh, the joint declaration and the basic law, the idea that um, all Hong Kong people shall have access to the Hong Kong courts, uh, to determine their rights and obligations, which is Article 35 of the Basic Law. Um, what um, these two laws together mean are that you or I could be seized in the street tomorrow by um, officers of the Office for National Security and taken to the mainland to be charged with a serious national security offence. This is uh, people are right to be quite. Uh, Uh, horrified at this and I am going to do anything I can while chairman of the bar to try to get these provisions I've just described changed. It may be hopeless but if I don't try it's certainly hopeless so I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to um, I have to discuss it first with the newly elected bar council but I hope the council will agree we should uh, raise this with the secretary for justice 
and see if there is any room at all for manoeuvre or modification. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of sold this by saying that a lot of countries have suspended extradition agreements uh, with Hong Kong and, and changing uh, these laws might uh, bring them back, might, might make them return. That's uh, quite right. I did say that. Isn't that kind of like blaming the victim? I mean, uh, you know, why should we appease um, those people? Why should we lower our national security standards um, to win back them? Um, because a genuine national security doesn't require these provisions. Um, and uh, it's, it's a practical matter that um, these countries, most of which are countries with which Hong Kong has strong... Um, ties um, have suspended their extradition treaties and they've done so because um, they're worried about fair trial issues and they're worried about um, people being uh, spirited away into the mainland and uh, it's very much in Hong Kong's interest um, to try to get those sus suspensions ended um, just as it is actually in the interest of those countries to end the suspensions. Those suspensions involve a price. It means that someone who uh, commits a murder in London can flee here and can't be extradited back. And someone who commits a murder in Hong Kong can flee to London and likewise can't be brought back. This is a very bad situation. I can't believe there's anyone who actually welcomes this situation. And I would like to find a practical way through um, that enables enough modifications to be made so that the suspensions are lifted. But you just must say it's politically impossible for, for Beijing to, to adjust Hong Kong laws to suit the UK. Well, it's, it's not only to suit the UK, it's to suit Hong Kong. And... Uh, uh, if it's politically impossible, this is extremely bad for Hong Kong, and I still hope um, that things can be done in the interests of Hong Kong so that Hong Kong can prosper. You, you mentioned your particular concerns about the national security law, and you singled out those two provisions. You didn't mention the provisions that uh, criminalise freedom of expression, like Article 20 on uh, succession. I, I'm sure you'll, you'll no, see your say... My you're... list was not a comprehensive... <laughs> I, 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 I quite understand that, but I just wondered whether in selecting those two provisions as the sort of the, the most serious concerns, I, I'm sure you, share, you have concerns about these other provisions as well, is sort of a recognition perhaps that um, though there is not is even less chance that those other provisions criminalising freedom of expression could ever be changed? No, um, I don't think that's right. The, the provisions can be divided into three categories. There are some that are um, inoffensive. There are some where it depends how you interpret them. And there are some, some like the, the, the ones I've just mentioned, which, however you interpret them, are, are bad. Mm. Um, now, the um, provision about um, secession is being interpreted by the government as prohibiting people from advocating independence. Reading it, it doesn't have to be read that way. Um, what it says is that um, people are guilty of secession um, if either by force or other means um, they uh, act to separate... Uh, Un unlawful means, is it? No, no, no. Unlawful means is for subversion. No. For uh, succession, <laughs> it's just force or, or not by for, for, for force. Uh, you're quite right. Um, what, but what I, I read secession as meaning... 
that it should be interpreted to mean other unlawful means because the national security law says that it is um, meant to comply with the basic law. The basic law guarantees free speech. The government says, well, you can restrict free speech. In some areas you can. In political free speech, the law does not normally allow you to restrict it. And you can interpret the secession provision to say other means covers other unlawful acts. Force is unlawful, so is computer hacking, uh, so is sabotage. The uh, interpretation that would preserve the basic law freedom is one that says force or other methods of breaking the law, then you're committing the offence, but simply expressing your opinion, you're not. Now, I think that interpreted that way, the secession provision um, becomes compliant with the basic law. This will eventually be decided by the courts, but this is very important because uh, you can't have a free society where people can't say what they think uh, without fear of being uh, penalised as criminals. Realistically, that's a couple of years away, though, isn't it? Because uh, we, not until we get a court of final appeal judgment on a case that has worked its way up through the courts will this really be clarified. Yes, that's right. Okay, so uh, in, in the meantime, the government can continue with its uh, current interpretation of these provisions. Um, well, uh, yes, I, I find it very distressing. I have a client in a national security case. Um, uh, he's been shouting a lot of slogans. He's currently um, in prison on remand. And, uh, and likely seems, to remain there. And likely to remain there. And, um, well, I, I shouldn't go that far. People can always make a new bail application. Uh, circumstances change. Um, but I find it really objectionable in principle that um, someone is in prison simply for shouting... Um, slogans well, about Hong Kong independence. Henry Liffin said that no judge in Hong Kong would, would uh, convict someone for shouting slogans. So we'll, 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 we'll find we'll, out, won't we? We'll find out. Uh, Paul Harris, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning, new chair of the uh, Hong Kong Bar Association. Uh, many thanks. Uh, we're going to be talking about ethnic minorities and uh, COVID after the news at nine o'clock and also an interesting and uh, novel proposal for transportation in uh, Quintong, moving walkways. The weather warm with sunny periods, uh, low visibility 19 degrees, the latest readings, and the relative humidity is at 85%. Your extension to the New START arms control treaty with Russia, it was due to expire next month. A spokeswoman, Jen Saki, said such an extension made sense because of the current adversarial nature of relations with Russia. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Tiverton. We were talking in the first part of the programme to uh, the new chair of the Hong Kong Bar Association, uh, Paul Harris, about the uh, new security uh, legislation, national security legislation, uh, and uh, also the uh, case of uh, David Perry. Uh, and uh, in the second part of the programme, between now and 9.30, we're going to be turning to a couple of uh, different topics. First of all, um, South Asian uh, residents uh, caught up in uh, coronavirus and... Uh, 
the uh, administration's uh, attitude. Uh, and uh, also we're going to be talking about uh, a new uh, transport initiative uh, in Kuntong, which is moving walkways, travelators, uh, the kind of thing you see uh, in the airport. How would that work um, outdoors in an area like uh, Kuntong? Interesting uh, suggestion. Uh, and of course, as ever, we want to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. You can call us on 233-88266 or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Uh, any comments on Facebook? No, I can't see anything on Facebook at the moment. Uh, but uh, um, Matthew has responded to Herman. Matthew says, Herman, do you seriously expect anyone to believe that someone like Professor Mahoney, who teaches at a mainland university, would be free to openly and honestly comment on something like the treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang, no matter where they are in the world? If he is, if he is then how do you explain him claiming he had not heard evidence of genocide there in yesterday's programme, despite this being widely reported? Oh, wait, I guess it's because they are just being re-educated for their own good, right? Got it. That is from Matthew. Uh, and on uh, COVID, Leslie Ann says, Dear Backchat, can someone please explain why the rest of the world have been and are rolling out vaccines as fast as possible? This is in stark contrast to Hong Kong, who continues to drag its feet and come up with excuse after excuse as to why inoculations cannot proceed. I now hear that on the news this morning that we cannot afford to hold up the process because, sorry, we can afford to hold up the process because our medical system is not under any strain. This is just ridiculous. We need these vaccines rolled out as soon as possible so we can get back to normality and be able to travel again. Or is this just another form of government suppression? That is from uh, Leslie Ann. Thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, on COVID, uh, we are joined by Pale Biswas, who's a project manager of uh, Unison Hong Kong. Uh, Ms. Biswas, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, there's been a lot of comments about a, uh, remarks by a senior official at the Centre for Health Protection uh, earlier this week, uh, referring to the uh, COVID hotspot in Yaoqingmong, uh, talked about uh, ethnic minorities in that area and uh, referring to family gatherings and sharing food, uh, smoked, uh, drink alcohol and chat together, uh, seemed to be suggesting that the behaviour of uh, certain ethnic minority groups was um, intensifying the spread of COVID. What's your reaction to the, the those remarks and the whole con controversy that's followed? Yeah, this is actually a very racialized narrative. It really undermines the collective efforts of everyone in Hong Kong who are actually fighting against the virus. And this is uh, uh, undermines all the work that ethnic minorities themselves have been doing to cast away all the stereotypes that's put on them. So it's kind of like reinforcing the stereotype and which is coming from the government itself. It's really worrying and a cause of concern that there might be some backlash to the community. And um, I think we've been starting to see uh, some kind of pattern of backlash right now. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What, what kind of pattern of backlash are you starting to see? Um, uh, for example, there has been an instance of where um, uh, the very famous app of Deliveroo, there was a comment by where you can actually add in when you want your food delivered and all. So there is a comment added that, oh, no South Asian or no Indian and Pakistani drivers, please. So we can already see this kind of situation which is arising. And uh, we have had some other um, service users who have reflected that around the community people are a bit uh, wary about them, a bit more worried about them being around. 
Of course, we should say the chief executive came out very quickly to, to say that uh, there's absolutely no suggestion of the spread of disease relating to race or ethnicity. If there's any misunderstanding arising from remarks made by any other officials, uh, uh, she wants to make it clear that that is not the case. Actually, yeah, but the damage had been done already when um, the Center for Health Protection uh, spoke about the gathering and smoking and drinking habits, which is actually not related to just any ethnicity. I don't think you can just put it, everybody does it. Everyone around the world does the same kind of, it's a behavior pattern for everyone. So this kind of categorization actually reinforces the stereotypes and, um, yeah, what, what, what more can the government, having those remarks having been made by this one individual official who's not a particularly high-ranking official, uh, in fact, we, I don't think we'd ever seen him at one of these press conferences before, and I'm sure he won't be invited back again. Um, ha, ha, those remarks having been made and the chief executive already pretty much disavowed them, what more do you expect the government to do? What could they do at this stage? I think it's been a year since the virus outbreak, and we can still see that access to information, especially testing information or quarantine information uh, is still not reaching the ethnic minority community because of language barriers. And uh, given the instance of what happened in Yomate, there were instances where um, the notices of quarantine and the mandatory testing information was only in uh, English or Chinese. And we know a lot of ethnic minorities cannot read English and Chinese. So when people went to, you know, uh, from door to door to tell them, they were very confused of what's happening. Um, the, I think they also held uh, a talk uh, to engage the public, and especially this talk was uh, intended for, I think, minority residents in that area to talk more about the health situation and the measures. But then the talk was done in Chinese, which is uh, which the language, uh, this language is not really widely spoken or uh, used by ethnic minority communities. So we can see that it's been a year but still government fails to understand the needs of ethnic minorities or to develop a mechanism which is which responds more swiftly and accurately. And there are a lot of uh, HAD support centers by the government, uh, support centers for ethnic minorities. I think uh, the government should actually be taking the help of these centers to disseminate more information. Okay, our number is 233-88266. Give us a call. Uh, And we've got a caller on the line now. James, I think. Good morning. Hi, here. It's uh, Jim Middleton. Oh, hi, Jim. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, look, uh, I saw this um, report about the ethnic minorities and COVID, and I thought, oh, that can't be the case. So I did some research, and actually a, a friend of mine, Dr. Martin Williams, who comes on this show sometimes, who has a PhD in chemistry, uh, he couldn't believe what I sent him. Um, I'm happy to pass it on to, to the... Uh, to the necessary people later. I'm, up in, I'm at the moment. I'm up in two months, so I can't get to my computer. But um, basically, a report in the Lancet and another report from a detailed report from Public Health England found that uh, Black, Asian, and uh, 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 BAME, they call it, uh, persons are more susceptible to the COVID virus and also uh, tend to be more infectious. And I had to read this twice, but it is a fact, and I'm happy to send it to you later. Is that, is that because of living conditions and diet and environment, and, uh, or, or is it uh, yes, physiological? The, the, report, the report goes into um, the many reasons. 
uh, amongst which that uh, uh, many of uh, this ethnic, these ethnic groups tend to be the, uh, uh, quite often the poorer sections of the community, and they tend to live in older buildings. And there is also the fact that people are forgetting that um, when the Wuhan uh, episode started, Studies were also started on the secondary transmission methods, which was the fecal-oral routes. So basically, you have a big sewage system running around the city uh, with, especially in China, with the squat toilets, and uh, the droplets were getting out and infecting people. Is, so, is, yeah, and I, I, I remember also that... Um I think they also said that um, some of these people were were uh, less able, were less likely to be working from home. Um, they were more likely to be doing a kind of jobs where um, they couldn't do that. They didn't have that that, that option, uh, and that might account. And that was that was in, true in America as well. I think that might yeah, account. Yeah, there, there was a, there was, my, my friend's a QS, and he took on a case uh, for a contractor, and the contractor's job was basically around Shanghai Street, Reclamation Street, Yamati areas, and they found thousands of illegal connections mm. from buildings. So they're trying to avoid the sewage charges, but basically all these, uh, a lot of these buildings were discharging the, uh, their uh, sewage effluent into grey water, and it's going into the harbour. Mm. Okay. And they found literally thousands of those. And also the, the piping structure is, uh, is not the best in these old buildings. Yeah. Uh, so Jim, when you have a concentration of people living uh, close to each other, <clears throat> and they've also found with COVID that it can be spread just as easily by talking to each other as by coughing. Hmm. Okay, Jim, many thanks for your call. 233-88266 is the number. Uh, Ms. Biswas, I mean, you know... In many places around the world, you, we found that kind of minority groups uh, are are more vulnerable. Um, surely, I mean, you know, there's an argument you should be thanking the Centre for Health Protection for, for drawing attention. And I think recently there have been, you know, uh, uh, people of South Asian origin have been uh, disproportionately affected recently. Um, they've been uh, more of them than you know than in the general population have been affected by. Uh, by COVID. So we, perhaps you should be listening to the warnings from the Centre for Health Protection rather than um, taking offence. Actually, uh, the ethnic minorities are uh, combating this virus. It's not that they are not aware of all the hygiene measures that they, they need to take, and they've been doing it. But, uh, but it undermines all their efforts when such comments are made, and which is uh, baseless and not true. And you have to look at the living quarters. At, uh, at the subdivided housing that they have been living in. And it comes down to the poor hygiene, uh, poor sewage conditions and the pipe and the drainage of the toilets where six or seven people are living together. So they're working very hard to keep the virus out of their homes, but it's just the living conditions. And then when such kind of uh, racialized narrative, it just promotes more stereotypes. So I really wish that there would be more cultural sensitivity training for spokesperson uh, and people who are working with the minority community. So do you think the government should be doing more about these living conditions then? Yeah, as early as the beginning of uh, the pandemic last year, there are concerned groups which work for subdivided housing. They had already expressed worries that something like this would actually uh, become like a big spread, like uh, the living quarters and all. But I, uh, 
uh, we haven't really seen the authorities really face up to this issue of the subdivided housing. Are there any other, I mean, it's, it's the moment it's primarily out in Mong. Are there any other areas in Hong Kong where um, uh, people are very packed together, perhaps other areas of Kowloon, which you're also concerned about? I think there are um, subdiv- wherever there is like subdivided housing, wherever there is people who are sh- with shared families sharing toilets and kitchen and um, amenities and the old buildings which are not really kept well. So I think that there is a risk in all of these places. Okay. okay, here we have an email from Jay who says, This hype about ethnic minorities is the media gone mad trying to cause problems. Hong Kong is multiracial. We have a good melting pot in Hong Kong. We don't want anyone rocking the boat. Yes, they have poor living conditions. So do many others. Government sort it out. That comes from Jay. Ms. Biswas, anything you want to respond to? Um, I think uh, it's true for everyone who's living in such conditions, be it an ethnic minority, be it in Chinese. I think everybody uh, living in such conditions are at risk. So, yeah. Unison works with uh, ethnic minority groups. Has there been any discussion of uh, the race discrimination ordinance in relation to um, uh, these recent comments about ethnic minority groups and whether you have any kind of legal case? Um, We are um, right now in discussion about it and we are looking at the um, the, um, RDO uh, very closely. And uh, let's see, in the next uh, couple of days or weeks, uh, we might, there might be a statement. Of course, because the, the race discrimination always has a rather limited application to the, yes. the government, but yes. it's not, the government's yes. not totally exempt from it. So, uh, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. OK, well, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, Payal Biswas, uh, Project Manor with uh, Unison uh, Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, a few uh, emails uh, before we get into our final uh, topic today. Um, first of all, uh, got another email from, from Mark Pinston. Mark, um, whenever I try to open your emails, I get, <laughs> I just get uh, an announcement, a fatal error has occurred. Yeah, and it only seems to be his emails. And it's so only your emails, It Mark. must be something in the format that they're sent in, Mark. Yeah, I, I've no idea what's, what's going on there. But could you try something else? Um, just try and send them from a different... From Gmail uh, or something? Or something like that, yes. yeah. Or even in just in a different format. We'd love to hear from you, Mark, but as I say, we can't. And it, it's, it, we can see the titles, can't we? We can see the title. It says Rob Greater Than Perry or something, um, and then and then we just get Fatal Error. Yeah, which is quite dramatic. Anyway, uh, um, some uh, random comments, uh, self-described by uh, Mike. Mike says, Hugh, on your comment of my not giving up Biden's questionable election, I'll ask you a question on England's loss to Argentina a few decades ago. Diego Maradona was reportedly able to score will either hand. Will you ever forget that? When pictures were later shown, it appeared he was cheating. What are we going to do? Call it out, dude. I will continue no matter how much uh, you dislike Trump or me. Second, this is not a COVID vaccine. It is an mRNA experiment. A vaccine is an attenuated, weakened virus that has been properly animal tested. Beginning to call it wrongly and next we fall, forget the science and it became fact. Lastly, the B117 variant that is more easily transmitted is government scare tactics. In reality, it's like you're going 90 miles an hour and the next guy is going 95 miles an hour. Not a big deal, but it has the boo factor. My emails are not reactionary, they are researched. Do you still remember England's loss to Argentina, Hugh? Uh, uh, Yeah, I I don't think we actually ever... um, invaded the um 
the um, Casa Rosada because of it. But anyway, uh, let's turn finally today to uh, uh, something different. An interesting proposal from uh, the government uh, proposing a network of uh, elevating moving walkways in Kuntong and Kowloon East as part of a plan to ease traffic congestion. Uh, this was uh, revealed in uh, papers uh, to uh, LegCo. This proposed walkway uh, network uh, connects uh, the Kuntong waterfront with Kai Tak, so it goes over the Typhoon Shelter. Uh, another one uh, links um, uh, redeveloped areas in, in uh, Kowloon Bay and uh, Kuntong, and there's a shorter one in, in Kowloon Bay um, uh, itself. Uh, for comment, we're joined now by uh, Edith Lung, who's a Kuntong District Councillor. Ms Lung, good morning to you. Hi, morning. What, what do you think of this idea? So, uh, I think that the elevated uh, uh, walkway is, has, is totally irrelevant to the Kuntong congestion problem. So because uh, it's a very simple reason. People have no reason to walk from Kuntong to Kaita. Uh, Kaita has no bus terminus or there are any traffic that uh, uh, that will uh, attract people to walk from Kuntong to Kaita and travel to other places. And so it has no nothing to do with the tra- uh, Kuntong congestion problem that is most uh, discussed in Hong Kong for now. And also, not not even the elevated walkway. None of the so-called multimodal proposals that uh, to replace the monorail plan uh, is addressing the congestion problem. Uh, even even the purpose even the purpose of the uh, monorail plan is not to solve the traffic congestion problem as well. So uh, the, the the government has uh, has no plan to to solve the problem. So what do you think the government should be doing? In fact, uh, we have to first uh, find the cause of the uh, traffic congestion problem. It's because, uh, it's because of uh, several reasons. Uh, the first reason is that because there is a, very, there is a big increase in the living and work population in Kuntong. Uh, in Kuntong, there, uh, there are uh, around around uh, 700,000 people living in Kuntong alone. In five years' time, Kuntong will become the most uh, leasing, uh, most congested point in, in Hong Kong, in uh, uh, top in the uh, 18 districts. And also there are uh, around 200,000 uh, work population. So in so uh, uh, there will be like uh, maybe a million people uh, living and working in Kuntong. And also, the, uh, there are uh, around 400,000 people living in Chiang Kuan-o, and the people in Chiang Kuan-o, if they want to travel to other places uh, through the roads, and they have to travel through Kuntong as well. So the traffic flow in Kuntong is, uh, has been uh, heightened for 50% in only 10 years' time. And also, the, 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 the second reason is that the uh, illegal parking is very serious in the Kuntong industrial area because of, there are a lot of um, vans and trucks to unload because there is, it is an industrial uh, uh, district that is called a CBD2. Uh, there will be a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the commercial, commercial uh, activities there. And so if the trains and trucks are uh, parking in, in the streets, then so there will be a lot of uh, traffic congestion uh, coming from Hoyun Road to Kuntong Road, and, and all, the, all the traffic will be stuck in the uh, Kuntong roundabout. 
so if we want to, we want the government to do something. We have to address the problem in very uh, detailed. Uh, we have to look in it. Um, for, for for example, we have to. Uh, uh, what what we are suggesting is that uh, we have to use the. We have to we have to try to uh, uh, put the uh, industrial area into like maybe divide into four to five uh, places, and then we have to find the parking slots for the uh, for the vans and trucks to unload. Uh, we all, we can also provide some incentives for the vans and trucks to finish their unloading in like 15 or uh, or 20 minutes time. Uh, uh, maybe for for the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes for free, and also we may need to address that problem in uh, in a in a in a long in a longer you know uh, plan. That is to reform the whole industrial area. We have to find we have to see if we can uh, 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 widen the roads, and also we have to. Uh, Try to find a way that the pedestrians and the fans and the and the and the um, vehicles have to separate into different uh, into different ways. Yeah, can't you do both these things or, or or all of these things? Certainly, when it comes to you know having this this travelator across to. The, to the old runway site, um, that would surely make sense. That would spread, and then people could live uh, in, uh, uh, in in Kai Tak uh, and work. Um, so you you know, and, and travel to uh, to Kuantong to the new offices and, and and so on there there to work. You would spread it out. You would make it more. It would just improve the environment greatly. It would it would make it attractive. It would be a real feature. Uh, um, that would be a boon for Kuantong, surely, to have that kind of. Uh, um, very eye-catching, a uh, moving walkway, a moving bridge uh, across the typhoon shelter. Well, it is a very good plan, you know, in terms of leisure. And uh, if, they, if, they, if, they, if they try to uh, connect the two points, like the Kun uh, Tong uh, waterfront and the Kai Tak uh, runway park, you know, it, it will it will connect the two parts uh, together, and it can be a good thing, you know, in terms of uh, people trying to play and have fun there. But in in terms of uh, in terms of you know solving a bigger problem, that is the Kuantong uh, congestion problem, it has nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, especially, uh, I think the government uh, they uh, the first they they want to uh, they want to divert the People in Kuantong and Outaukok to Kaita because Kaita now has uh, uh, it does not have a lot of people there. So if they want more uh, commercial activity to happen in in Kaita, but the problem is it is a very long runway. Um, uh, it is a very long way to travel from Outaukok to Kaita. Uh, I have I've, uh, measured it before. Uh, I think there is a one km, one kilometer from Outaukok to Kaita. So you mean be, you mean in a straight line going going yeah, to, in a straight, straight line, line going yeah, south? In, yeah. Yes, exactly in a straight line. Well, that's line. why you have a travelator. That's why you stand on the travelator with your with your family or whatever, and it's a real feature. It's a it's a it's fun, and it and it you know you look at the experience of the the escalator uh, in mid levels. Uh, that's well used. That's appreciated, I think, and that's relieved some of the uh, some of the road pressure, taken a few vehicles off the road, perhaps. Well, if. Uh in fact, there are, there aren't a lot of people, you know, traveling from Kuantong to Kaita for now. It has no incentive to do so because uh, in Kaita there is nothing. There's only a park. 
there's uh, there is no uh, traffic that uh, can divert people from Kuantong to other places. Uh, it is the uh, Kaita the Kaita uh, runway is even not close to the Kaita station because if you travel from Kaita runway to uh, to Kaita station, you have to walk at least an hour. Yeah, so you'd be at the wrong point? end. Yeah, be, you would be at the wrong end. Okay. <laughs> Yo. Okay, a couple of comments from, from listeners. Uh, S says, uh, moving pavements will mean more energy use and less exercise. Uh, how does that make sense? Another food truck stroke white elephant project, uh, question mark. Uh, but uh, MT says on the Kuantong walkway, the government needs to address the territory-wide problem of too many vehicles and in particular private cars. Many governments and cities are moving away from vehicle transport. What is the Hong Kong government plan? That comes from uh, MT. Do you think the, um, um, Edith Lung, do you think the government needs to scale back its plans for <coughs> Kowloon East? I mean, and um, they talk about it as a, as a new business district. Are you saying that um, the, the district, the area just can't cope with that volume of um, people? Yeah, uh, I have uh, done a research before in uh, 2020 uh, in summertime uh, when the people are going back to work. So it took a bus to uh, 77 minutes uh, for for it to travel from the Kuantong Pier to the uh, Kuantong APM uh, uh, shopping mall. You know, if you walk from Kuantong Pier to to the APM shopping mall, it takes you only like maybe ten minutes time. Mm. But you know, if you take a, for a bus, it it, it took them uh, seventy seven minutes, and uh, a lot of the buses uh, at least take an hour to 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 travel this. Uh, 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 direction and so the problem is the traffic congestion problem now is already very very serious and we need the government to uh, divert to address the problem directly but not you know uh, trying to think of some new and you know happy fun infrastructure that is only catering leisure we have we want it we want the uh, uh, the budget you know to be spent on roads and uh, to uh, 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 for the pedestrians to walk in a in, in a in a happier way. Okay. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, can, can, Edith, thank you very much for, for joining us, uh, Quinton District Councillor. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, a couple of uh, uh, emails to finish off. Uh, T says, uh, I've been appalled by the government's officials, r- officials' racist comments regarding Asian communities and COVID and see this uh, deeply sad and retrograde and would hope that the government would rectify the situation in terms of censure of that official, if not greater. Personal experience in the UK from a doctor at Blackburn's largest public NHS hospital did tell me back in October that Asian communities, very sadly, have a higher risk of COVID. Uh, and she linked this to deficiencies in vitamin D. She told me that prior to COVID, many Blackburn Asian community persons were provided vitamin D supplements and suggested to me and my family to take a vitamin D tablet every day. I wonder whether you could share this with your listeners and ask medical opinion on this as it seems to be something that should be done immediately by the government in terms of free supplements to these communities, if not the whole Hong Kong community in the same way as masks were given free to everyone. Thoughts from your medical panellists? Uh, that's uh, from uh, T. Uh, yeah, I have seen, um, I think, vitamin D, I think, in the Lancet was There praising. has been some discussion about yeah. it, yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll put that to, to a proper doctor. Uh, in due course, Horatio gets the last word on Facebook. 
He says, I'm frankly a bit shocked by Ivan Hung, who is apparently an advisor to the government's comment concerning delaying the citywide vaccination programme to March uh, is not an issue. The economy has been seriously handicapped for months with no end in sight. People are fatigued with isolation and masks, losing hope. Uh, and jobs, and it's not a problem. Uh, would it be possible that the government wanted the Chinese vaccine to move ahead of the other ones for face, but still couldn't get the data and therefore approval? That's from uh, Horatio. Thank you very much indeed. Danny, many thanks to you. To uh, to uh, Michelle, our researcher and producer, and uh, also to uh, Raphael, the uh, studio producer every day. The weather, warm with sunny periods, visibility relatively low in some areas, a couple of light rain patches around at first as well. Temperatures today up to about 24 degrees, 19 degrees at the moment. Relative humidity is at 85%. Have a good weekend. Fight the virus, stay vigilant. If you think you have a higher risk of COVID-19 exposure or experience discomfort, you can collect specimen bottles for free testing from designated public clinics. Meanwhile, the government will arrange free testing for targeted groups. To minimize the risk of community transmission, we should take the initiative to get tested. Together, we must fight the virus. Stay vigilant. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler. The Secretary for Health, Sophia Chan, says authorities are still pursuing the possibility of using the Chinese Sinovac vaccine, despite government advisers on the pandemic not recommending it for use. In a report released last night, experts say vaccines from BioNTech and AstraZeneca should be given to the population in phases, starting with elderly care home residents and staff. In his first full day in office, President Biden has asserted federal control of all aspects of the fight against the coronavirus, saying it would require a wartime undertaking to defeat the disease. Emphasis is being placed on speeding up the vaccination program, expanding testing and increasing the wearing of masks. And the American drug company Pfizer has halved the volume of COVID-19 vaccine supplies to some European Union countries. Italy has threatened legal action after being told to expect a 20% cut next week on top of a 10% reduction this week. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 Not too bad at all. Good morning. New York Scottish. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the top of Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Friday. Back again for more here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. You can recognise this music. You can present the programme for the next month. Bet you can't. Which movie is this from? Anyway, let's get on with it. Off to San Francisco at 10.10 to meet Chef Matt Dolan for this week's food bit. He's going to give you a few more of his priceless kitchen tips and very likely flip a few somersaults for Joe in the process. 11.10, it's your weekly dose of top-end sports and all with Danny Hicks. And after 12, our crack movie critic James Marsh continues to dig deep for another visual hot or not chat with reviews of Outside the Wire, The White Tiger and more. That means he hasn't got anything else, basically. Join us on Facebook Live today on 